0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation, based in the Highlands of Scotland, working on the restoration of species at home and abroad. It's been 10 weeks since six white-tailed eagles, translocated by Roy's team from their nests in Scotland, were released into the skies over the Isle of Wight, the last place they'd bred in England in the 18th century, watching them the people who'd worked to get them to that point.
1: It's amazing. I I never thought I'd see eagles on the Isle of Wight in my lifetime. And now they're here, it's wow.
0: Seeing them go
2: today was a bit of a double-edged sword. So it was really so thrilling to see them in the skies over the Isle of Wight. But it was a little bit like letting my children go.
3: It's been a magnificent morning this morning, absolutely unforgettable for me to actually see the first white-tailed eagle in England flying for over 200 years. Um, a magical moment.
0: But has that magic lasted? In today's podcast, we'll be catching up with those three people recorded on release day, and we'll ask if they're seeing any lasting eagle effect on the Isle of Wight. If they are, what will that mean for the island in years to come?
1: This is a project that's going to go 10, 15 more years into the future, Um, and it's going to take as long as that to, to establish this bird in southern England.
0: These are people who have lived 10 weeks of highs and lows on the island. They have watched some eagles stay and others go, one bird vanish off the radar and another die and, above all, have carried out hour upon hour of patient, apparently undramatic, observation. Tracy Dove is a volunteer on the project, as well as being the education and conservation manager at the Isle of Wight Zoo. She recalls one particular day looking for one of the birds. Steve had
2: contacted me to say that um, one of the eagles had been seen in the vicinity and would it be possible for me to go up onto Culver Down, which is quite near where I work, with my scope and see if I could find him and see if I could watch him and find out what he was eating. Uh, So uh, I went up very early in the morning, set my scope up and scanned the, the, uh, the marsh, which is a really long way away and eventually thought, oh, I've spotted him, there he is, he's sat in that tree. So I thought well, I'll settle down to watch him, see what he's up to. I won't actually be able to see what he is eating, but I might be able to see if he's fishing or if he's robbing other birds. Uh, and after about an hour of staring at this brown mass in this tree, which was quite a long way away, I, doubt started to set in. I was starting to think, mm, is that an eagle? Or is that actually a lump of wood there? Although they're massive birds, they do just blend in with the background and they sit really still. So it does start to play on your mind a bit. So I then spent ages thinking, oh, it's a piece of wood. I'm just watching this piece of wood. And then I think, no, actually, I think it is an eagle. It's the right colour and it's the right shape. And then, no, 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 it's a piece of wood. And then thankfully, it had a little bit of a wiggle. It had a bit of a stretch and wiggled its shoulders. Oh, no, it's OK. It is the eagle. That's fine. Um, and so then I watched it uh, for another three hours waiting to see what it was going to eat hoping against hope that I might actually see one in flight at last because I haven't seen one in flight um, and uh, all it did in the next three hours is it had a good old stretch and then wandered up, walked up onto the next branch and sat there as well so my whole four hour stint was spent staring at this little brown dot right in the distance but you know It was just so exciting um, to think, this is a wild white-tailed eagle and it's on the Isle of Wight and I'm watching it.
0: So the fact it's there is what's exciting. It's not doing anything very exciting, not necessarily anyway, but the fact that you have them there on the Isle of Wight is, is everything for you.
2: Absolutely, yes. Um, I haven't seen any flying. That's the only sight I've had of one actually in the wild. But do you know, that that really doesn't matter. They're in our landscape. After all of those years of being missing because of human persecution, humans have now put them back and they're here. Um, and I've been involved in that and that's just it's such a thrill. I think I can hear the education centre in the background. Because it's raining here at the moment, so quite a lot of the children have gone in there. And although we provided nice craft activities for them to do, um, some of them find it really hard to sit still.
0: Hopefully it'll go quieter again. (laughs) They need to learn to sit still for four hours, then they'll be proper wildlife watchers. And were you involved in the early stages as well, when they were in the cages before the release?
2: Yes I was. I was very lucky to be in right from the start really so I was spending my shift sat in the caravan watching them on the CCTV, watching them um, feed, watching how they behave. Really fascinating and of course getting to know their personalities as well so I've really
0: enjoyed that side of things. How does that affect you then when you hear, as, as you knew probably would happen, that not every bird will make it and that's why it's a five-year project and that's why there's going to be 60 released? So are you able to separate those, those two things, that, that pleasure and joy of seeing them in the cages but then hearing that one has died?
2: Yes, I think I am able to look at the, the bigger picture if we care about about nature. But there should always be that tinge of sadness. We should always care about it. But at the same time, it, it is a natural process. Um, as a biologist, I'm realistic, and I know that all juveniles that hatch or are born are not going to survive, um, that nature is quite harsh, really. There will be other casualties in the future, I'm sure. That's how nature works. Um, but if we can end up with a a strong, viable breeding population on the Isle of Wight, I mean, how amazing would that be?
3: This project has taken over my life completely and changed me forever. Jim Baldwin is
0: also a volunteer with the project, as well as being an expert birder born on the Isle of Wight. I asked him if the effect the release had obviously had on him has spread beyond the immediate circle involved in the project.
3: Since I started off doing the monitoring of these eagles it's made such a difference seeing these iconic birds actually on the Isle of Wight. It took me a large amount of time from when I first saw them at the beginning of July to suddenly realise that this project was actually happening here and I think it's going to be such a massive bonus to the Isle of Wight in both from tourism and also the amount of interest it's taken in locally.
0: But, of course, with massive excitement comes massive disappointment, potentially, when a bird dies or when a bird leaves the island and and doesn't appear to want to come home for a while. Um, Are people managing those two things?
3: Obviously, there is a certain attachment one gets to the birds because of the fact that they are seen as our birds from the island. Um, But I think that people have to be pragmatic on this, that they are wild birds, and that, unfortunately, these things do happen. A, a large apex predator is likely to have a high mortality rate. Because of the fact that they are a large bird, they have to go through the learning curve of how to, f- to fend for themselves, how to eat. They've got to accustom themselves, I suppose, to the, to the world. Yes, that's right. They're learning all these different life skills at the moment, which is why... On a local basis, we don't want people chasing around as keen as they are seeing our lovely new birds. We need to make sure that they view them from a distance so that they don't disturb them when they're eating or when they're finding a a safe place to be able to roost. What kind of feedback are you getting from people on the island? I'm fortunate enough to be able to be close to the general public working in a bird hide on a couple of days a week. And from that type of platform, I'm getting somewhere in the region of about ninety ninety five percent people very positive. The first question they when they see me is, "Has there been an eagle been seen here?" Or can you tell me more about this eagle project? And it's all very very positive stuff. I think there probably just there's one or two on on the other side who are still just waiting to see what happens. They're a little bit more reticent. But uh, I think generally the the actual public um, and certainly people who have never shown any real interest in wildlife who I know are now suddenly talking to me about an eagle. Now, that's got to be a good thing, because if we can get them looking at an eagle, hopefully we can get them looking at other birds as well.
0: Yes, because actually looking at an eagle isn't as easy as it sounds anyway, is it? They're they're proving to be pretty
3: elusive because of the way they they live. Yes, they certainly are. Um, I've spent many hours... Uh, staring at a particular copse where Steve has told me that 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 is where they are, so I can monitor them for him and to check on their behaviour. And I've spent a good four to five hours with telescope from a long distance, watching nearly to the tree where where it actually is. And I've never seen them first and the last, but um, I have actually seen them subsequently, and. Every time I see one, it is a spine-chilling moment. It, it it hasn't changed from the first time I saw one in the wild to the one I saw a few days ago in the wild. It is a marvellous moment when you do see them. And it's also interesting uh, seeing some of their behaviour outside as well. There was one particular one um, which is shown, uh, the, the photograph on Roy's website, uh, showing the fact that there's was two of the eagles together, a male and a female, and they were actually playing with a stick. The male actually picked up a stick off of the beach and then uh, flew up with it, and the female followed it along. They, they carried on as though this was a game, some form of little gift to the female, who knows, but uh, it seems to have been a certain amount of fun that uh, they were having between them.
0: So I suppose taking the birds and putting them in this much more populated environment, uh, we're seeing behaviours close up, which obviously go on all the time in more remote places, but we really don't get to see them.
3: That's right. Um, that was also the big benefit from when we were monitoring them with the extant CCTV system at the release cages, the different posing of them, the, the, the way in which they give the call and why they're giving a call. There were so many different behavioural aspects which you would never have seen in, in in the wild. It was such a unique opportunity and one which I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of.
0: It's closing a gap, really, isn't it, between us and them, between us and nature. We're, we're feeling a lot closer by the sound of it. I mean, obviously you have been always because you're very much an expert on birds, but for the ordinary observer, it, it brings nature closer to home.
3: Yes, it certainly is. The the, the whole thing about this, we're hoping to be able to get people to engage with nature in general so much more because of the eagles. I mean, there was someone the other day who had just left the high, going off on their walk quite happily, and they'd happened to have found an eagle a few hours later. And they came back to me, came charging in. I hadn't seen them for several hours... And they come back in and said, you'll never guess what I've just seen. And the beaming look, now whether they'd actually had seen one, I don't know. <laughs> they may well have only just seen a buzzard. But talking to them had obviously stirred the imagination in them and given them the drive to want to go out to see the eagle and then to even bother to come back to to tell me that they thought they'd seen one. You know, it was a remarkable situation, but it's one that if we can continue to increase that along the way, it can only benefit nature.
0: Tracy Dove at the Isle of Wight Zoo says she's seen an enormous awakening of interest in nature because of the eagles, among people for whom nature has not until now been very high on their list of priorities.
2: They want to talk about the eagles, they ask about them, they're they're listening to the podcasts. they're looking at the social media um, posts and they're talking about those and commenting on them and I just think that that's probably... Apart from the fact that the intrinsic value of having the animals back in the landscape, I think the value of inspiring people to take an interest in nature and in the natural world um, is is very powerful and I think it's something that um, these eagles are going to be magnificent at.
0: Steve Egerton-Reed says he too has seen the eagle effect spread because once seen, they're never forgotten, even for people who work with them
1: they are so dramatic I think I think that's what it is it's just it's such this enormous bird and this icon really for for wetland and coastal conservation it's just I don't think anybody will ever get bored of of seeing them and every time I see them I'm always taken aback as well so it's you know and I've worked with these birds every day for the last three four months and it's they are just they are incredible
0: now are they doing largely what you would have expected them to do
1: uh, yeah, if I think so. I mean, you know, in, in some respects, they've, they've probably been behaving much better than we expected. You know, we really were expecting them to come back to our food source for at least the first month. And, and actually, only a couple of birds have returned to feed with us. And the rest of them have been feeding as wild birds and, and finding carrying in a wider landscape. So... You know it's it's going a lot better than we even you know our wildest dreams to be honest. we've got a supply of fish um locally and if they come back they come back um The great thing about you know these birds is that they have such a wide range, and as soon as they get up onto any kind of height they they can see that food they can and they'll find it if they need it. they know it's there, so the fact that only a couple of birds have come back almost demonstrates that there is enough food out there for, for the rest of them. There are occasions where we we don't necessarily know what they're doing because they're on private land or far away from us or, or whatever it might be, but when we are able to to see what they're doing, we, we have quite a good idea using satellite technology and the radio technology. We can follow their progress and and feedback from, from local people is really valuable. And the, the four birds that we know about are doing amazingly well and for the most part they're independent of us um, and you know that's despite not having other eagles to follow. It's it's really quite incredible how well they're doing.
0: Now with a reintroduction program obviously you have in a very short space of time had highs and lows um, but nothing that you wouldn't have expected and I think even that expectation that things won't go smoothly has been generated and got into the general understanding. People seem to get that losses are going to happen and that things won't go 100% smoothly, but that's the way of the project.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, we're not, we don't expect every bird to survive and experience from other projects shows that you know, if we, if we do well, 40% of those birds will, will survive to adulthood. So, and I, and I think that the messages have been out there and and people do understand that you know death is part of life and um you know that that young birds face a lot of challenges um and it doesn't make it any less upsetting for people i don't think but but at least they they do understand it and and we have to understand it as a project team as well and it's actually just as challenging <laughs>
0: The whole point of this project is that you're rolling on to 2020 and then 2021 and on for four more years um, after this one. So you have to give it that long-term view.
1: Yeah, this is a project that's not just going to last four or five years of uh, the uh, release phase. This is a project that's going to last well into the future. You know, know, these birds won't start to breed until they're four or five years of age. And, you know, you think five years' time we would have released all the birds we're going to release for time and actually only a small percentage of those birds would have reached breeding maturity. So this is a project that's going to go 10, 15 more years into the future and it's going to take as long as that to, to establish this bird in southern England. So um, it really is a long game and it's you know, it's a really exciting project but it's going to take a long time to get the results that we want.
0: Jim Baldwin was saying this, uh, Jim was saying that there's been a kind of general increase in awareness of nature and wildlife because of this eagle project. So people aren't just being engaged by the eagles, but they're also generally more tuned into the whole thing. Have you seen any evidence of that?
1: I think that's, I think that's a very sort of astute observation. People are really interested in the bird, but actually as soon as they sort of think about what the eagles are doing, they start thinking about the wider landscape and, and wildlife in general, and actually, it's it's not necessarily um, how they can help eagles. Now, it's actually how can they help wildlife in their back garden on on their land or wherever it might be. In fact, the other day somebody asked me how how could they help a project, but also they've got five acres of land and and they really want to do something for wildlife with that land, and you know it, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, to do with eagles. But what can they do? And you know that's that's a really fantastic question to be asked, to be honest.
0: Steve Egerton-Reed, ending our podcast from the Isle of Wight. And just to let you know, various sightings of a bird which might be Culver, whose radio has stopped sending signals, have been sent in to the Foundation, so we will keep you posted on that. We're coming to the end of this season of weekly podcasts. What we'd really love to do is show you the fieldwork, the hands-on stuff. And that's slowing down about now, so from November till March, we'll be doing these podcasts once a month, rather than once a week. We'll be looking at red squirrel translocations, keeping you up to date on white-tailed eagles, and maybe even venturing into lynx reintroduction and work with mountain hares, before we head back out into the field with Roy and the team to repair and build osprey nests after the winter, before the birds return from Africa to Scotland. Do let us know if there's a particular aspect of Roy's work that you would like to hear more about. All 12 podcasts in this season are on our website, www.roydennis.org, as well as on the usual platforms, so you can always catch up if you've missed a few. Thank you to everyone who has given us feedback and, of course, donations to help us do more of this kind of work. And finally, credit for the music, realness, goes to Kai Engel, it's downloadable. From the Free Music Archive. Next week we'll be looking back at what's been achieved since the summer and looking ahead at what is to come. And please share the podcasts with anyone who you think might like to know that there is something we can do to help the environment at a time when it's more in need of our help than ever.